listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. You know, this uh, weekend, the 14th and 15th, not only is our anniversary, but it was the weekend that was to be my retirement weekend, if you remember. And then this heart thing came up, and it's been six, eight weeks, and so we've kind of postponed that to uh, the end. But, you know, it seemed like a good time where we were completing 50 years of ministry and 50 years of marriage and 30 years being pastor of Village Church. And so this is a this is a very powerful weekend for us, and it will be, I'm sure, for um, um, Jesse and Elizabeth's uh, little girl Ruby. What a neat name! Cheryl had a, an aunt whose name was Ruby, Aunt Ruby, and her mother's middle name was Ruby. So, I mean, that's really a, a special name. I mean, you don't hear that name a lot anymore. Uh, what was your other aunt's name? It was another one of those old time names, Ophelia something. Anyway. It's great. Uh, I thought that since uh, Ryan is going to begin this uh, series on uh, the Beatitudes and then the Sermon on the Mount, I thought it would be good to get a little background into how the people were hearing that message as Jesus was communicating it. And so it seemed like an appropriate passage would be in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, which is just the two verses uh, before the passage that uh, we looked at uh, last week. Uh, and so if you turn in your Bibles there, you can just look on the screen and you can see this uh, text. It says this, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. 36 words this uh, are translated into English 36 English words you know Mark's gospel uh, it's the first gospel and it is by far the shortest of the gospels between Matthew Luke and John Mark seems to be the master of understatement or he compresses together the dialogue and the and the, the, the stories into just kind of giving the, the bare bones, but with an incredible sense of meaning to the words that he uses. So in Mark's gospel, every word is important. So I, I thought it was important for us this morning to look at these two verses and look at each one of the words here to kind of get a feeling of what Mark is saying to us as we begin to think about the ministry of Jesus and particularly as it leads into the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. So it, it begins, it says, after John was arrested. Of course, that's John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist is the, the John who came preparing the way for the Messiah. And as you know, it came to a point in time where uh, King Herod, uh, the Tetrarch, and out of the area of Galilee, where he'd had enough of John, and under pressure from his wife, he had John arrested. And then ultimately, he had John beheaded, but he was arrested. This is some a year after the, the time when he baptized Jesus. And so it's after that time that John was arrested. <clears throat> now it's very interesting 
that we look and see that that verb was arrested is passive. Uh, in, in Mark's gospel, there are many passive verbs. That means that someone else is taking the action. And, and Mark, in his uh, description, all the way through his uh, uh, this little gospel, uh, it's God who is behind the scene. The one who is taking the action in having John arrested is God. God moves John off the scene so that he can move Jesus onto the scene. And, and that's the picture. It's in the passage before where Jesus is led out into the wilderness. Who led him out in the wilderness? Well, behind that passive verb is God. It says here, the spirit led him out into the wilderness. Him being tempted by Satan is God's plan. It's part of God's purpose. And, and so we, we have to look as you study through and look through the gospel of Mark. Be very aware of the passive verbs because there you can see the action, the plan, the direction that God is taking. So it says, after John is arrested. Now, John the Baptist, as we've talked through this gospel many times before, John represents the prophets. He even dresses like one, you know, like Elijah, you know, skin from an animal and, you know, has a bunch of locusts and wild honey and all of that. And he pops them in his mouth and, and he's just a wild guy. John the Baptist, he's like a prophet. He represents that Old Testament, the prophets and the law, Moses and all of that. And so what Mark is saying is that that whole movement uh, where the Jewish people related to God through the law and the prophets is now being moved off the stage. It's moved off the stage, and now something new is coming. And we're going to see in just a moment what that is. All of that, all that Old Testament, the, the law and the prophets, all of that has come to an end, and something brand new is here, Mark is saying. In fact, John's message said the same thing. Repent, remember he said that. And really what he was saying is this, is listen, if you want to get full of the next thing that God is doing, You've got to get empty of everything you've been full up up until this point. You've got to start over. If you're going to be in a relationship with Jesus, it's one where you start over. Get empty of everything else that you have been following and now allow Jesus and his words and his presence to fill your life. Get ready for that. And so the text says, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee. Jesus came. It's interesting. Uh, through the Gospel of Mark, it's always Jesus coming to people. Jesus is finding people. It's not people are finding Jesus. It's that Jesus is finding people. And that's one of the unique aspects of, of, of Jesus, is that he finds people. He challenges them and says, follow me. And sometimes they do and sometimes they, they don't. He comes and says, do you want to get well? He comes and finds sick people and offers them the opportunity to wholeness, to life, to the gospel. Jesus comes to us. Jesus takes the initiative to come into Galilee, as the text says. It's his initiative. See, in the gospel, and in fact in all the gospels, Jesus finds you. You don't find Jesus. And, and that's the way it always is. He finds us. That's why Paul can say with confidence that we have been chosen by God before the beginning of the found, before the foundation of the world. It's God's desire that we are part of his family. Jesus comes to us. Hallelujah. Now, it, it says this, that Jesus comes to Galilee. Now, that's very surprising. 
Because John, most of his ministry was down in uh, Judea, you know, baptizing in the, at, the, at the far end of the Jordan River. That's where Jesus was baptized. Uh, you know, the center of Jewish thought and religion and belief and all of that was in Jerusalem, which was in Judea. And so if God's going to do anything, it's kind of like the uh, wise men. They assumed that if God was going to do something in Israel, he would certainly come to the king. He would come to Herod and say, okay, where's this thing happening? Uh, it, it wouldn't certainly wouldn't be in Bethlehem. It wouldn't be some insecure, you know, insignificant place. And it's much like this. Galilee is that kind of insignificant place. It, it's those uh, tribes up in the north, that area in the north, the Samaria is in between, and, and, and Galilee is out there, and you know who knows what those people are doing. Remember in Jesus' ministry, they said many times, could anything good come from Nazareth? Could anything good come from Galilee, that area way up there? Um, Jesus comes to Galilee. What a surprise! In fact, in Mark's gospel, as in all the gospels, it's always a surprise who it is who hears and responds to Jesus' message and who it is who hears and rejects Jesus' message. It's always a surprise. You know, you'd think that Jesus would come to the religious leaders. You'd think that Jesus would come to the priests, to the scribes, to the rabbis, to the people who mattered in Judaism. And when he would talk to them, they rejected what he said. And they were left behind. It's Sermon on the Mount. One of the keys to understanding the Sermon on the Mount is recognizing who it's for. Jesus says, I've come and I've got good news. And I also have bad news. The good news is God's kingdom is here. And it's for you. It's just not for who you think it's for. You think it's for all those religious people. But it's not. It's for the broken. It's for the poor in spirit. It's for, and on and on he goes. And people are standing here in shock. The kingdom of God is for those people? What's the point of being good? You see, that's the surprise. There is no point in being good. What are you doing? I'll let Ryan open that up in a few weeks. He can, he can talk about that. And Jesus comes into Galilee, and look what he comes doing. Preaching. Jesus comes into Galilee preaching. He, he's preaching, he's proclaiming because he's proclaiming good news. What he's talking about is good news, and good news has to be told. I mean, yesterday, we got a, a early in the morning, we got a picture from Gary and Linda Carell of their newest grandchild, you know, right out of the oven, you know, here, here he is, and here's a picture. Why did they send this? Because that kid is good news to them. It's their granddaughter. And so they want everybody to know. Ben, I mean, he couldn't wait till staff meeting is over before he's sending out pictures of what that Luke looks like. You know what I mean? Who cares? But uh, the reality is, there's lots of people who care. And, and you do that stuff because it's good news. And good news has to be told, doesn't it? You know, you have, you, uh, good news has to be told. See, be suspicious of anything that calls itself Christian and at its center, at the place where it, it shows itself to be, this is what our mission is all about. If preaching is not at the center of it, be very, be very concerned. If they're setting up a reading room or they're setting up something else, you know, be, 
be real careful because at the center of the gospel is always proclamation. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the good news, the good news of God. Now, that's a very important phrase. It's a genitive of origin. This is the good news that's coming from God. The announcement, this is God's word that he wants people to hear. He's the source of this good news. Jesus isn't making this stuff up. Jesus is not uh, coming up with a, a new religion on his own. This is not the initiative of Jesus to say these things. This is the will of God. This is, God is the source of this good news that Jesus is proclaiming. This is the message. This is the word from God that you have been waiting for. You know, since the time of, well, I don't know, since David, maybe, the people have been waiting for that moment when Israel, again, is brought together as a unique kingdom that is, stands on its own two feet and is a player in the world scene. When is that going to happen? And of course, there's all the stories of the Messiah and what have you. When he comes, he's going to do that. And so in, in their mind, they've been thinking, they've been waiting, they've been dreaming of this. And now Jesus is announcing, he's proclaiming the good news that the word that God is going to speak to you about his next major movement has come. He's announcing this, and that's why it's exciting. This is the one you've been waiting for. And so Jesus says, and the time is right for it. The time is fulfilled. Interesting word, fulfilled. This again is that Greek word that uh, uh, Mark takes from Aramaic, and he, he puts it in this text. This is the word in, from time uh, that is the word kairos. Th this is the word that means the moment. Not necessarily chronological time. It's not chronos. It's kairos. Not, we're not talking about this is August 15th, 2021. That's chronological time. This is a moment. It's like every worship time. Every time we come together for worship is a moment when God can encounter us, isn't it? It's an opportunity. And, and so uh, Jesus is saying, hey, right now, what's going on in this announcement What's going on in my ministry is the moment in which God is at work. You can connect with what God is doing right now in this moment if you want to. That's the announcement. You know, that's, that's, that's part of the announcement. It reminds us of Galatians chapter 4 when the Apostle Paul said, At just the right time, or at, it literally in the text it, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under a, the law, to redeem those. And he goes on. At just Jesus came into the world when? At the right moment. At the right time. The good news, Jesus is saying, is that right time is now. You've been waiting You've been longing, you've been dreaming about, you've been thinking about. We've had false messiahs who have gone out and tried to make it happen, who have all been put down by the Romans. But now, this is the moment. It's happening now. And in the world, the world was ready for this moment. 
The Romans, for instance, who were in charge of this whole area, uh, Israel was under the authority of the Romans and it was an oppressive kind of regime. But in Rome itself, all of their old philosophies, all of their old ways of trying to find meaning and purpose, they tried all of those things and they were still empty. And this is why Rome started to move downward because they started to try to entertain themselves rather than with meaning and purpose, with fun, with experience. And, and it, they kind of fell apart from within. They were ready for a change. They were ready for something new. The old ways had not worked. Their pantheon of gods have left them empty. The Jews as well were ready. The law, all of that Old Testament stuff, <clears throat> is leaving them empty. And they're looking for the next thing that God is going to do. They find themselves in a difficult situation. And so they need something new to happen. They're ready for this to take place. And Jesus says, you've been waiting for it. Guess what? It's here. It's here right now is the time. The kingdom of God is here. That's what his next phrase says. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. It's within reach. It's at hand. You can reach out and touch it. It's kind of like this is the word that means I can reach out and pick up this outline because it's right here. It's within reach. I can grab it. Paul Vitello isn't in reach. I can't grab him. I'd like to, but I can't, I can't grab him. But I can this because it's, you can be a part of the kingdom. Why? Because it's right here. You can grab it. You can get it to be a part of the kingdom right now if you want it. The reign of God, the kingdom of God is right here now. God is in charge. God is doing his thing. You can be a part of it if you want to. This is, this is what the announcement is. It's happening right now. The opportunity is right here, right now. He's saying the reign of God. And this is an important statement. Because since the time of the bad kings, when Israel lost its kingship and they were taken into captivity, first of all by the Assyrians and then later on by the Babylonians, the question is when is God going to resume his rightful place as king in Israel? In fact, they're still asking that question today. That's the question. When is God... See, Israel, from their beginning, with... Abraham, and then with God bringing all of the Jewish community, Israel, out of captivity in Egypt and across the wilderness and into the promised land where every place where their foot stepped, he gave to them. And they established the tribes in this land and they were living successfully. God had been their king. God gave directions to their leaders. Do this, do that. Fight these people, ignore these people, etc. I'll take care of these things. And they lived in the land. And then the judges, etc. And Israel came to a place where the people looked around them and saw that they didn't have a, these other countries didn't have a theophany. They didn't have God as their king. They had a person as their king. And so they came to Samuel and they said, we want a king just like everybody else. And so, as you know, King Saul was, the, was named king, was anointed king. And then David and then Solomon and then Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And then the whole kingdom, it kind of fell apart. And, uh, uh, and so the question is, when is God going to reestablish his rightful reign in Israel? 
And Jesus comes and announces, God's going to do that when? Right now. It's here. It's here. And that's the good news. The good news is God is establishing his rightful reign over your life again right now. Through me, Jesus says, this is all happening. And you've got to repent and believe in this good news if you want to experience it. Repent and believe. The word believe is a word that means experience. You, you, you've got to act like it's real. You've got to experience this good news that is, that is taking place. You, you've got to enter into it. And the key to entering into it is repent of everything else that you're already into. Repent. Turn around. Change your mind. You were going in this direction. Now you've got to go in this direction. That's what it means to, to repent, to change direction. <clears throat> in his book, the Divine Conspiracy. Dallas Willard talks about uh, repentance uh, as uh, people who, during the Depression in rural areas, uh, were given the opportunity to have electricity brought into their homes. Now, this required a huge change for these people to move from no electricity to electricity. And so the question is, uh, will, they, will they respond? Will they receive it? Will they like it? <clears throat> now, I have a real-life story about that moment. My mother was old enough to remember this. This is 1933 in uh, eastern Pennsylvania, uh, in, in the Poconos, Canadenses, Dutch Hill Road. Dutch Hill Road is a road that's about 18 miles from Canadenses up to Raymerville. And on that road lives Old Summers and Benders. In 1840, these two families came from uh, Germany and they settled right there. The Benders had seven sons and the Old Summers had seven daughters. And there were Indians and there were Old Summers and Benders. So the Old Summers and Benders married each other. And so on that road, there's all the farms are either from that family of Benders or that family of Old Summers. And uh, the people that their kids have married, etc., they were all like that. And so in, in 1932, uh, these people are still living on Dutch Hill Road the way that they've lived for almost 100 years. In terms of they took care, they raised their own food, they, you know, animals and a garden and wagons and they cut ice out of the lakes and all, all of that kind of stuff and, and, you know, primitive, we would call it. And then came the opportunity to have electricity. Now, electricity makes a big difference. All of a sudden, you can have bathrooms in the house rather than out in the woods. This is a big deal. Uh, Grandpa had four daughters. It was a big deal. To have bathrooms in the house, wow. To have running water where you could now cook with water that comes from the, uh, from the sink rather than running out to the, to the well and, and pumping it. I mean, all of these kinds of things, lights that went on. You could have a radio, <laughs> imagine that. All of these kinds of things, a, a washer, a dryer, you could have a refrigerator. I mean, all of this stuff that electricity brings. But means that things are going to be different, doesn't it? How are you going to get that electricity from the road into your house? Well, somebody's going to have to put up poles. Somebody's going to have to string wires, or at least someone's going to have to pay for it. And you know who usually pays for it? The consumer. 
and so we're going to add some uh, money to your uh, to your bill and then they're going to pay for it all the time every month and you've got to get all these new fixtures in your house and all of this so there's a lot of stuff that you have to do if you want to have electricity and a lot of stuff that you have to stop doing if you are going to have electricity in your house well the interesting thing my mom said is that half of the people who lived on Dutch Hill Road, half of the vendors in Old Summers, went with electricity, and half of them said, we don't want it. Why? Because it was too much work to make that change. They couldn't conceive of stopping all the things the way that they had been living for a 100 years in order to live a different way. It was just too difficult. See, that's what repentance is. Repentance is, if you want electricity... You've got to stop pumping water outside. You've got to run a pipe into your house where there's a pump, and the pump can pump the water up out of the well into your sink. So when you turn it on, push, water comes out. You've got to stop going out to the woods, to the outhouse, going to the... You've got to, you've got to put that inside. And on and on and on and on and on. There's stuff you have to do. And there's stuff you have to stop doing if you're going to do this. That's repentance. That's the idea of repentance. Do you want electricity in your house and farm? And if you do, you've got to do things. You've got to move in a new direction. That's what Jesus was saying. Listen, if you want this kingdom of God that is available, that's here right now, if you want that to be a part of your life, there's some stuff you've got to do and there's some stuff you've got to stop doing. There's some stuff you've got to stop believing. It's John the Baptist message. It says, listen, if you want to get yourself ready for what God's about ready to do, you've got to get empty of everything that you're already full of right now so that God can fill you with his new stuff. It's the day of Pentecost. The Spirit comes. He fills them. They got empty of everything else, so now that the Spirit could fill them with his presence and power, and their lives took an entirely new direction. That's what Jesus is saying. Wow, that's the good news. My words are the good news. This is the direction. If you'll follow me and obey me, you'll be transformed. You'll be a new person. Not because you're keeping rules, but simply by following me, your life will change. It'll be transformed. That's what Jesus is promising. That's why the words that seem to us often counterintuitive and counter... Um, a cultural, they don't scare us. Because that's what Jesus does. He, he says, listen, you got to get empty of that stuff so that you get filled with this other stuff. Well, what is that other stuff? Well, just wait and see. Just wait and see. And that's what happens. This becomes what the rest of Mark's gospel is about up until chapter 9. Mark is uh, uh, raising the question from this point on for the next six chapters saying this, what would happen to me if I became a part of this kingdom? That becomes his thesis sentence for the rest of his, of the rest of his gospel. What would happen to me if this, if this uh, kingdom entered into me, if I entered into it, what would my life look like? And that's what the rest of this chapter does. It answers. John doesn't go from this point into starting a theological discussion about the kingdom of God. You know, he, he doesn't start doing theology and saying, well, now listen, the kingdom of God is like this because he doesn't do that. What he does is he starts talking about what happens in the ministry of Jesus. 
And if you uh, look at the rest of chapter 1 and chapter chapter 2, he, he starts talking about what it looks like when the kingdom of God is here. And the first thing you see, as we saw last week in Ryan's sermon, people begin to submit to Jesus' reign. Jesus invites Andrew and Peter to follow him. They're in the boats with their father. They're fishermen. He says, hey, come follow me. And what do they do? It says, immediately... They got up, left their father and the nets in the boat, and went and followed Jesus. What do you, you ever wonder what their dad was saying? Where are you going? What are you coming back? Who's going to help me fish tonight? <coughs> Cheryl, can you get me that bottle of water? See, that's a, that's a, that's a big question. All of a sudden, and, and John, this is what happens when you can't breathe. All of a sudden... All of a sudden, uh, what, what takes place is, is you see Mark using this little Greek word, idu. And the word idu is a word that means immediately. And all the way through, when Jesus calls these men to follow him, the text says, and immediately they left their nets and their father in the boat, just as he was, and followed Jesus. Well, then what happens? Well, the next thing you know, they uh, go to the synagogue and there's a man with an unclean spirit. And Jesus uh, says to him, to the spirit, he says, come out of him. And the spirit comes out of him. I mean, unclean spirits are cast out in the kingdom of God. The next thing that happens is they go to Peter's home and his mother-in-law, who they were planning on having her fix lunch, is sick. And she's upstairs laying down and Jesus says, where is she? And he goes upstairs and he looks at her and says, you're well, get up. And she gets up and goes downstairs and fixes up lunch. <laughs> Disease is healed in this, in this kingdom. And sin is canceled. Do you, do you remember the, the, the story? The four friends bring uh, Jesus, this guy who's laying on a mat. And there's no room for them to get in the house where Jesus is. So they go up on the roof. They cut a hole in the roof and let him down through the hole in the roof. And Jesus looks at him and says, wow. He says, your sins are forgiven. And the guy gets up and he walks away and everybody's upset. Who do you think you are that can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus looks at him and says, right. <laughs> when the kingdom of God is there, stuff happens. Stuff happens that you never anticipated would, would happen. Traditions are broken. Uh, you, you remember the, the, the story where um, uh, Jesus and his d d disciples go into the, the synagogue to worship and the religious leaders have placed somebody there who has a withered arm. And the big question is, will Jesus break the Sabbath rule and heal this guy on the Sabbath, which is not, a, not legal, or will he say, well, too bad it's a Sabbath, come back tomorrow. Jesus looks at the guy with a withered arm and he says, you're well. Touches it, his arm is restored. They get in all kinds of trouble because they broke the Sabbath law. And Jesus says, listen, do you think we're made for the Sabbath? Or do you think the Sabbath was made for us? Say, what's the right, what's the right answer? The Sabbath was made for us. But their traditions have established the thing that we're made to keep all these silly rules on the Sabbath. And it keeps us from worshiping God. Rather than being an asset, it's a hindrance to worshiping God. And, and 
all the traditions are gone. They're broken in Jesus. Nature is controlled. Do you remember? Jesus says, we need to get out of here. And so they jump in the boat and they're going to go to the other side. Jesus is tired. He falls asleep. The disciples are here paddling and, you know, the wind is blowing. They can't put up the sails and the storm really gets serious. Jesus is asleep in the boat. They're ticked at him. They wake him up and they say, Master, don't you care? We're perishing. Jesus looks around, sees the wind and the waves, and he says, knock it off. (laughs) Calm. And the disciples go, quote, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? In the kingdom, when God's kingdom is in rule, nature is controlled. No longer is nature and sin and those kinds of things in control of us. In the kingdom, those things have no power in the kingdom. Man, that's just amazing. That's exciting. And, and on and on and on through the next six chapters, just immediately and immediately and immediately things start happening. So if I get to be a part of the kingdom, what's going to happen? Stuff. And stuff's going to happen quick. And when you come before Jesus with a need, something's going to take place. He's going to act. Things are taking place in the kingdom of God. Are you ready for it? That's what Jesus is saying. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for the good news? See, what's exciting, just in another, uh, next week, 14, yes, next week, Friday, uh, Saturday night and Sunday after worship, you guys are going to get together over in the chapel and you're going to talk about outreach opportunities that we have here in Burbank. And I bet you God's going to show up and he's going to say, and immediately there's some things that are going to come to mind. Don't you think? All of a sudden, he's going to give us some vision. He's going to give us some, some things that we need to be doing and directions we need to be moving, in, and that's going to be exciting. See, I, I hope you'll be a part of that. See, because it'll necessitate a new direction. All of a sudden, we're going to be doing new things we haven't done before. Usually, that's difficult for people who've been in church for a while to deal with. I, I want to suggest to you that that needs to be the norm. Doing new things all the time needs to be the norm. Did I hear that? Thank you. Thank you. It will mean change. You may end up sitting in different seats than you're sitting in now. I mean, already, you know, we're wearing masks. We're not, I mean, it's just crazy stuff. Listen, when the kingdom hits, when you're trying to allow the kingdom to be what directs your life, Everything's in play. Everything's in play. And that's the good news. But we'll be right where God wants us to be. And that's what it means to be blessed. To be blessed means right to be right where God wants you to be. And so when the kingdom is all around you and it's happening, you're right where you're supposed to be. You will, you will be blessed. It's what John the Baptist said. If you want to be filled with this, you've got to get empty of all the other stuff that uh, has been taking your time and energy and focus. So that becomes the, the caveat as we start moving in this direction. You can get filled with this new life that Jesus has for us, but in order to really be filled, you've got to really be empty. And so if there's some things that you know in your life are directions that just are going to keep you from moving in the direction Jesus wants us to move in, you've got to find a way to get rid of them. Uh, Maybe there's some people, you know, we have elders, we have other people uh, who are more than happy to talk with you and pray with you about some of those issues and those ideas, those things that need to get empty of. If they're bigger than you can handle, you know, get somebody to talk with you and pray with you about. 
because there's nothing that you want to do more than not miss allowing the kingdom to be what directs and guides your every day. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.